So today our passage is from 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's when we see Uzziah dying when he was studying the Ark of the Covenant. And from this passage, we're going to see that tragedy can end in blessing. See, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says that Christians do not grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope because we believe Jesus died and rose again. We humans naturally grieve death and loss, but hope in grief is possible. And to grieve with hope, I have to believe in the resurrection. So as we go to Second Samuel 6, let's begin with prayer. Lord, today, in our grief, in our loss of many things and many people, help us today to see your life. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen. We're going to begin Second Samuel chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, 1 through 8. It says, David again assembled all the fit young men in Israel, 30,000. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal, Judah. The ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Amenadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzziah and Ahio, sons of Amminadab, were guarding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Amminadab's house on the hill. Ohio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzziah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzziah and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence and he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzziah. So he named that place outburst against Uzziah as it is to this day. We'll see some of the Stages of grief here with David. And the first one we see is David's anger. What's happening? Well, the the people under David, the king, they are moving the Ark of the Covenant from this one town, Baal Judah, to Jerusalem. They want to move it to the capital city. And we see from this that this is a military action that David is doing. David, in the previous chapter, it says he's been fighting and winning wars along with by using the counsel of God. And in the past, the Israelites had tried to use the Ark of the Covenant as a weapon of war, or at least inspiration for soldiers who were fighting the war. They had done that in the past. We see that in 1 Samuel 4 through 7, that that they brought the Ark of the Covenant out to the battle. And that's how they lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines before it was returned. And even in their names of the Ark of the Covenant, one of the names is that is the Ark that bears the name of the Lord of Armies. So they are doing this as a military thing. The people moving the Ark, it's 30,000 fit young men of Israel. It's all of David's troops, it says. 
we don't hear about any priests or anything like that. This is the army that is moving the Ark of the Covenant. And they're using a cart. Now, carts had been used before. The Ark of the Covenant had come from the Philistines on a cart to Beth Shemesh. Um, the, the Philistines didn't know the proper way to carry the Ark, which was Levites were supposed to car- carry the Ark with poles. But they, the, because they were getting pestilence, the Philistines were getting pestilence from having the ark in their midst, they just put it on a cart and let it go away. So when it got to Beth Shemesh, the people looked inside the ark of the covenant and they died. And so they wanted to get rid of it, so they kept it on the cart and sent it to another city, Kareth Jerim. That's to Aminadab's house, where it sat until David came to get it this day. And it was at Aminadab's house for 20 years. Now, we don't know what Aminadab exactly did with it, but it may have still been sitting on that same cart. Uh, now, they may have not put it on a cart. I don't know how long carts would last, but they they make a point of saying in Second Samuel 6 that they put it onto a new cart. So it's not on the same cart that the Philistines put it on. It, it's moved from wherever it was, whether it was on that old cart or somewhere else, they put it on a brand new cart. And as I said before, Levites were supposed to carry the ark with poles, not soldiers using a cart. It was in the law of how the ark of the covenant was supposed to be carried. So tell me this. Now, if we think about this. You don't have to tell me, of course. Um, we know the ark was put onto a new cart. We also know that all the people that are described there are military people, not priestly people. So how did the ark get from its old resting place onto this new cart? The text doesn't tell us, but the text is specific that the ark of the covenant was moved onto a new cart, and the only people there are David's troops. So depending on the thickness of the wood that was used to make the Ark of the Covenant and the amount of gold overlay that was put on there, plus the contents of the Ark, which were copies of the Ten Commandments and a few other things, this box, this Ark of the Covenant, was at least 330 pounds. But it could have been as much as 615 pounds. It's pretty heavy. Now, our best equivalent of this with the range of weight it could be, this is probably about the weight of an average full-size upright piano. And I don't know if you've done any moving. I've helped people move, and we've had a piano in my lifetime. It takes usually about four full-size men to move an upright piano. And we know with the poles in the Ark of the Covenant, it probably took about four men to do that. Now, we know it takes about four men to pick up this Ark of the Covenant, and we don't know whether or not they use poles or not. But here's the thing. The text doesn't tell us that anybody touched the Ark to move it onto the cart. But I just don't logically see how they could have moved it onto a new cart without touching it. They, it just, uh, because later on when they move the cart, it specifically tells us the priests moved the cart. They picked it up with poles. So 
although it doesn't say other people touched the ark, it's very likely that it was touched quite a bit, at least by four people being moved onto this new cart. So the ark is on this new cart. They're having their big military parade to Jerusalem. All this music is playing. And Uzziah touches the ark to keep it from falling off of the cart. And the Lord kills him on the spot for irreverence. So now can we see maybe why David is angry? If other people had been touching it all morning, and now Uzziah is killed for keeping it from falling on the ground. You know, there are going to be people during this time who are going to refuse to maintain social distancing, going to completely carry on their lives as normal, not wear a mask in public, and also will not contract COVID-19. There's also going to be people who take every precaution and will still get sick and maybe even die. And when stuff like that happens, it seems not fair. It can make you mad. Yeah, I know as a pastor, I get angry when I read about a pastor who refuses to adapt Sunday worship services and 300 people in their congregation contract COVID-19. You know, so when we look at these things where pe- some people do things right and still get in trouble or some people do things wrong and they skate by, you know, how can tragedy turn into a blessing? How can it end in a blessing? Well, let's think outside of coronavirus. Why is it that some people seem to be able to have sex outside of marriage and never get an STD or get pregnant? Or drink too much, but the worst consequence they get is a hangover. Now I say seem to because we don't really know what's going on with these people in private, but at least from outward appearances, they may seem to be okay. And then other people, seemingly one time they don't maintain self-control and they get an STD or they get pregnant or they get drunk and get raped or they get drunk and get a DUI. Life's not fair. Now, we also need to remember that usually that one time when somebody made a mistake that changed their life, there was previously probably a whole series of poor choices that led up to that one-time incident. You know, we put the Ark of the Covenant on the new cart long before we have to steady the ark from falling off the cart. So maybe David's wondering, why didn't God kill the first man that touched the ark in the first place? Or the second, or the third, or the fourth? Why kill Uzziah, who was just trying to keep it from falling? And why kill him in front of everyone during the parade? Well, you know what? The Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. You know, God gave everyone an opportunity to stop touching the ark. And so now Uzziah's public punishment serves as an example to the entire nation. Now, I don't need to put myself out there 
for people as an example of what not to do, it would be much more beneficial for me to put myself as as an example of out there of doing right, doing what God says is right, even if it makes my plans more complicated, just as David's plans would have to be more complicated if he was going to move the ark in the right way. Even if what I need to do, you know, would make me angry and frustrated. So David's angry. Why did this happen? You know, it's perfectly reasonable to get angry when confronted with death and sickness and restrictions. In fact, anger is the second stage of grief. And Anger naturally leads to the next stages of bargaining and then depression, which both of those in David expresses itself as fear. Back to 2 Samuel 6, verses 9 and 10. It says, David feared the Lord that day. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. We saw David's anger. Now we see David's fear. I think we can safely put David in the depression stage of grief here. He's not doing any bargaining. He sees no options. He says, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? He says, I can't do it. Now he does have options. God has provided the exact instructions in the law about how to move the ark. But David is just not ready to hear how he should have done it yet. Right now at this point, he's just thinking, man, this is impossible. If we try to move the ark, God will kill us. So just leave it. Send the ark to the closest house, Obed-Edom of Gath. And that's where it sits. I think this uh, idea of having no choices might be exactly how a lot of people felt when they heard about the stay-at-home order. How am I going to do the things that I'm supposed to do? This is impossible. How will I work? How will I pay my bills? How will my children be educated? How will I worship God? Many people's reaction was fear. You know, so many people went out and bought more toilet paper than they would ever need in a whole year. And then people went out to buy guns to protect their toilet paper. You look at people acting in fear. How can this tragedy end in blessing? Well, fear is a natural human response to loss. But fear is not necessarily a rational thinking response. See, fear, like the fear in David, makes us think that we don't have any options. But there are always options. God makes tragedy end in blessings. So to finish off the story, verses 11 and 12, 2 Samuel 6. The ark of the Lord remained in his house three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. It was reported to King David, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. 
So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. David's God from anger to fear to rejoicing. You know, who is Obed-Edom? Obed-Edom, according to 1 Chronicles fifteen eighteen, he's a Levite. He's one of the people prescribed by the law who could actually carry the Ark of the Covenant. Obed-Edom knows how to take care of the Ark of the Covenant. And guess what? He's not afraid of it or God because he knows what he's supposed to do with it and not do with it. And the Lord blesses his house for three months as he takes care of the Ark of the Covenant. So King David gets the report that Obed-Edom's house, the death box, has become the blessing box. And that's what David wanted in the first place. I wanted the blessing to be on my house. So now with rejoicing, he brings the ark to Jerusalem. And we know from later texts that he, the second time, moves the ark in God's prescribed way. You know, sometimes people treat the Bible like it's a bad thing, like it's a death box. You know, the Bible does make people angry and afraid sometimes. Because, among other things, the Bible does point out what is sin, what is evil, and what punishment falls from that. I saw a, a meme, a joke meme on, on the internet just in the last couple of weeks, and one person says, the Bible is irrelevant for today. And the response is, the Bible says, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and don't eat bats. And that's just in Leviticus. The Levites know how to make the death box into a blessing box. And the Bible doesn't just point out our sin and punishment. The Bible also addresses love and salvation, hope, all the reasons to rejoice. See, just because something starts off really bad, really tragically, or even really scary, doesn't mean it has to end that way. COVID-19 is bad. It makes people angry and afraid. Stay-at-home orders make people angry and afraid. Not being able to assemble together at church makes people angry and afraid. But we're not at the end of this yet. Look at what's happened in the meantime. Just this last Monday, oil was... At the beginning of Monday, oil was trading at one cent a barrel. And by the end of the day, it was trading at negative $36.73, I believe, a barrel. Now, that's not good for everybody. Certainly not for oil producers. But that's a good thing for, like, the economy. It's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for the environment. What else? You know, the presidential election cycle is not going to be so drawn out anymore. I think that's a good thing. Families are eating meals together. People are going for walks to stay healthy. 
air and water pollution are clearing. People are washing their hands, and businesses are cleaning their facilities. Church congregations are innovating. There's some blessing coming through this tragedy. As I said before, just because something starts off really bad, really tragically, or really scary, doesn't mean it has to stay that way. Our gospel reading for today was the disciples that were walking towards Emmaus. They're talking about the death of Jesus, and what does it mean? But the story ends with Jesus resurrected. Sin, the things that people do against God's will, that's bad. An innocent person being condemned to death is tragic and should make us angry. Death by crucifixion is scary. But resurrection is reason to rejoice. To grieve with hope, I have to believe in the resurrection. Let's pray from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. The ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of the grave overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. I believed, even when I said, I am severely oppressed. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, today we call upon your name. Turn our tragedy into rejoicing. Take away our fear. We ask this in your name. Amen.